Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. I don't know what your week has looked like this week. Maybe you've just been cruising along. Maybe life is super easy for you at the moment. You know, my dad always said that you don't have to work a day in your life if you enjoy what you're doing. And so maybe you really, 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 really enjoy everything there is to enjoy about what you do, whether you're studying or you're working, but maybe life is just crazy for you. But maybe you're a bit like me. I know for me, I'm coming out of a pretty busy season. You know, it's the end of term three. So if you're a teacher, uh, you're just trying to do last minute assessment marking. If you're a uni student, you're in that, that study week break. That's not really a break. You're preparing for the end of year exams. And if you're working in the health industries, uh, you're still kind of recovering from all the flus that have been going around and just the setbacks in the health industry. Uh, I know for myself, it's just been a big season ahead not ahead in the past. Hopefully it's not as busy ahead. That's what we're talking about tonight. And um, for me, a, a typical day in this last probably two-month season has, been, uh, had, has had a lot of disruption, discouragement, and distraction. It's felt very sporadic and not really uplifting, not really encouraging. And the thing that I love to do at the end of a busy day, at a hard day, is to grab some good food, sit on the couch, and watch a movie. Uh, I just love being able to just get into another world and it's kind of like escaping some of the things that I don't want to think about anymore. And when I'm at work, I really look forward to my lunch. So around 10 o'clock, Lockie's here tonight and me and Lockie would message each other most days at around 11 o'clock to see what we're doing for lunch. And uh, so I really look forward to lunch, but I just this thing happens, right, where when I'm eating lunch, I'm already thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner. So... I'm just consumed by enjoying food, right? So I'm not even hungry. I'm busy eating lunch and I'm going, oh, I'm having sushi for lunch. So what, what's for dinner, you know? What, what's going to get me through this afternoon? Now, I make it sound like work is horrible. It's not horrible at all. But I've just learned this about myself. I just try and get through and I look to the next thing. I always look forward to the next thing that's going to get me through. When I'm overwhelmed with all the work and the to-do lists and all the things that needs to be done, I often find myself, I don't have my phone on me, but I always pick up my phone and I start scrolling through social media reels, right? There's something soothing or something, it's like a pacifier that you suck on like a baby, but you just pick up your phone, you just start scrolling and it, take, it can take 45 minutes of your day, but it's just something that helps me kind of just take, take a break from what I'm having to do. Or another thing I love to do is I jump on Amazon, and ever since Amazon's released the one-day business delivery, one business day delivery service, um, I've just become addicted to seeing what I can get at my house or at work within a business day. And so that's one of the past times I love doing. I jump on my phone to go to Amazon. Or during the week as well, I love booking my next great holiday. And so I love taking holidays. Unfortunately, there is only four weeks of leave in a year. I think it should be tripled or quadrupled. That's the ideal amount. Unfortunately, we have to work to make a living to live these days. So it's not as easy as that. But all jokes aside, like this was literally me this week. Like 
I jumped on Amazon and I ordered a phone case and a screen protector. It's not really exciting, but for me that was just a little bit of retail therapy just to get me through that afternoon. And we were even discussing the idea of booking a cruise. It was going to be a great deal, $78 a night for a cruise trip. So, you know, we nearly booked it. We didn't end up booking it, which is probably a good thing, because it's helped me uh, to use this as an illustration for tonight's sermon. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't have mentioned it. Um, but, yeah, I've just come to realise that as humans, we always look to that next thing to tie us over. And we all live lives filled with chaos, busyness, and unpredictability, which can lead to uncertainty in our hearts and a sense of overwhelm. I don't know if you're experiencing this right now, but I'm sure we've all experienced that in some way over the years. We've been formed in our culture to always look to things to comfort us, to to kind of shape um, how we cope with life. And we were trapped in this living and living our lives where we're always waiting for the next thing. I, I think I've driven that point home. We're always looking for the next thing. And we're kind of like a racehorse, right? So we're going to have an image of a racehorse on the picture. And I don't know if you know anything about horse racing. I don't know anything except I saw this illustration being used in a sermon like three years ago. So it's very helpful. So they actually put these masks on the horses' faces. So when they're racing... Horses get really distracted by all the commotion around them, like, you know, other horses, riders falling off horses, or the crowd throwing, oh, they don't throw stuff, the crowd yelling, and so they have these blinders strapped to their eyes so they can only focus on the road ahead, and it actually helps the horse uh, run a faster race because they focus on that one goal. And I think for us, in all this disruption and this chaos, we've trained ourselves just to look to the next thing that we're always trying to go, you know, what am I working towards? What's the next thing I need to tick off? And um, it's like we're racehorses. But I don't know if you've looked at me. I'm nothing like a racehorse. Uh, I'm not built for running. Uh, and you know, the truth is we're not built just to race. We're actually built for so much more. We're built to have relationships with people, with another. We're meant to be in community. We're meant to be filled with joy and peace and contentment. That's, that's what life is meant to be. But I have to ask the question, what makes us content? You know, as Christians, we were just singing before, like the whole worship set was talking about this grand narrative that we're invited into where we can have an eternal hope that we hold on to because of God giving his own son on the cross for us to hold on to. Isn't that enough for us to hold on to? Shouldn't that uh, be all we ever want in life? Is that, all, that, that hope that we have because of Jesus? You know, Jesus died so we would no longer be condemned uh, for the sins that we uh, we live in, the, the sinful nature we live in, we're no longer uh, chained to the things that hold us down. Uh, he wants us, God wants us to be in relationship with him. So I, when I went through this in the week, I had to ask myself, like, why am I still finding myself living from one thing to the next? Isn't having faith in Jesus everything I need? The answer is yes, it is, but we'll unpack it a little bit. And as children of God, how are we still rooted and dependent on the things of this world? How are we still conforming to society when we're all Christians? And a lot of us know that truth. We've been told that truth since we were young. And Jesus speaks in the Bible, in Matthew, about people who live their lives rooted in the world. He addresses this issue. So if you have your Bible here, whether it's a physical Bible or a digital uh, device, uh, please open up to Matthew 7, verse 26 to 27. The words will be on the screen as well. 
Um, So Matthew 7, verse 26 to 27. Let's read. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Just going to drink some water. Now, Jesus, in this passage, he's warning us. It's so clear. Don't build your house on the sand. Because when the things of life um, overcomes us, we're going to crash. He says, if you build your house on the sand, you're going to live like a foolish man. Don't be foolish. Now, I think I have some pretty good experience with the structural integrity of sand, right? If you think about it, sand doesn't really have that much structural integrity. But we've tested this extensively, especially when you mix sand with water. Um, My family and I, some of our family friends, every Easter or most Easters, we either go to Morden Island or Fraser Island. We go on some family trip. And uh, there's this creek on Fraser Island. We went there earlier this year called Eli Creek. And Eli Creek is the biggest creek on the eastern beach of Fraser Island. So there's the creek there. I did some research um, about Eli Creek. Now, out of the creek pours 4 million litres of water, fresh water, every hour, and that water goes into the ocean. Now, if you're like me and you have no concept of what 4 million litres of water is, I did some calculations, um, and I worked out, it's really simple, it's two Olympic swimming pools worth of water every hour. So to me, I was shocked. Like, it looks like a big creek, but you can't imagine that that much fresh water is flowing out of the island every hour. And uh, our family, as fun as we are, always had a challenge that we used to partake in. And the challenge would be to try and build a damn wall with sand to block all that water so that the water can't escape into the ocean. And, um, you know, a couple of times we, we were successful. If there wasn't rain and the water flow wasn't as strong, if we had five to ten strong people with shovels, we could cart the sand and start building a wall. And eventually, we would start stopping the water from flowing out. We'd start building a dam. But what I really quickly realized was that um, as the water rises, it gets harder and harder to maintain that wall. And as soon as the water goes over the wall, it just starts washing the sand away. And eventually, the whole wall just washes away. See, if sand isn't uh, compacted together, if, if there's one weakness, the water will just flow through and wash it all away. And to be honest, thinking about it, um, it was a fun activity, but I reckon the reason why we did it is because both my brother and my dad are civil engineers, and so in their mind, that's their whole life, you know, can we build a dam? And uh, the rest of us were just <laughs> the laborers that would build the dam for them. Um, But, you know, I reckon this gives us such an insight, or for me at least, has given me such an insight into the metaphor that Jesus is using in his passage. It's it's a big warning, right? It's a big warning sign. We've got a warning sign that we're going to put up. Uh, It's a big warning sign for us. When life gets tough, when the waves of life washes over us and we're not secure, we don't have the practices in life that strengthen us, we will collapse and be washed away. And we all know that when we go through a, a hard time, we try and, um, you know, obviously we try and do something about it. We try and find a solution. Now, who here grew up watching Bob the Builder? Can we just see your hands? All right, so I thought, I reckon if I 
was talking to the youth about it, so the 12 to 17-year-olds. Most of them might not know what I'm talking about, but it's good. We're amongst friends. Now, who here can remember the big, like, the song or the slogan for Bob the Builder? Who reckons they can remember it? So I'm going to sing out of tune, and then if we can all, I'll do the call, you do the response, ready? Bob the Builder, can we fix it? Bob the Builder, yes, we can. Right, we all grew up watching Bob the Builder, and it's innocent, I love Bob the Builder, there's nothing malicious about that story, but I think from an early age, we all think we're builders that can work on our lives, we, we always try and find a solution. We're in the business of trying to fix things. We're trying to fix the dysfunction of our lives, we're trying to find solutions to the problems and the circumstances that we face. Who here... And I'll be honest, I've done this before. Who here has gone to WikiHow and searched these questions? How to, ha- uh, how to live a happy life, or how to find a life with meaning and purpose, or how to make friends. That was definitely me in like early high school. I Googled that. That was a, a favorite page on my homepage. Or how to live a simple and peaceful life, right? It sounds a bit funny, but we've all looked to WikiHow to find an answer to a problem that we don't know how to address. And it's so easy. There's a 10-step program that will walk you through how to be content in life. It seems so easy. I know I've always looked to the internet, to society, to find solutions to the problems and circumstances that I face in my life. But the truth is, we can't fix ourselves. I don't know if you've tried those 10-step programs. I usually get to step number six, and then it's like... I don't know, be more sociable. And it's like, well, actually, as an introvert, that's actually more than just doing it. Like, there's just some steps that's just, you can't just do it, right? You have to, like, build up to it, and there's internal, uh, I don't know, for me, it's just building capacity into your life so you can hang out with more people at the same time. Uh, So those steps never work out for me. I always hit a brick wall on step six or seven, Um, And the truth is we can't fix ourselves. We might find a way to survive. We might find a way to get through, but we won't thrive. We won't live in the intentional uh, life that God has set up for us. We won't be filled with contentment and happiness and peace. So the question is, where can we go to find guidance to know how we can live our lives? Where do we go to find a a better version of WikiHow, essentially, uh, I think we, most of us would know the answer, and it's the Bible, right? And so I did some research on the Bible. Did you know the Bible is the best-selling book of all time? The Guinness World of Records, so reputable source. Uh, you know, they reckon, they estimated that there's been 5 billion copies of the Bible sold over time. So sold and distributed, 5 billion copies. And um, they, they say that the best-selling novel of all time, so there's like religious books and stuff, the best-selling novel is an, a Spanish novel called Don Quixote. I don't know how to say that. And it's written by Miguel de Cervantes. It's the most popular novel in the world, so I assume some of you might have read it. Can we have nods if you've read that book? Okay, the book readers have. That's good. Um, And that book has sold 5 million copies, which 5 million is still a staggering amount. John O. White wrote a book, and it's hugely successful, and I think he's up to 10,000 books at the moment. For those that don't know John O., he comes to our morning service. He used to come to 5 p.m., but um, I'm just trying to compare what different books 
get traction on, you know? And so if you do the, the maths, if you, have a thousand, if, if you sold 5 billion copies of the Bible and 1 million copies of this other novel, that's a ratio of 1,000 to 1. So for every uh, copy of that novel that's been sold, there's been 1,000 Bibles sold. So you take the best-sold novel and times it by 1,000, and that's how many copies has been sold of the Bible. And so you have to ask, right, if it's a hugely popular book that has topped the ranks, why is our younger generation not reading it? Why are we not reading it? It doesn't make sense to me. If I do the maths, if I look at all the the novels out there, the books, you know, Harry Potter and all these different novel series, we're all pretty well read on those. But I reckon, I might be wrong, but a lot of us don't read our Bible like we engage with those other series. We're going to do a quick survey of the room. So you put your hands up. If you have read the Bible, you could say you read the Bible five days a week, cover to cover, and uh, you have left no verse unturned in the Bible. You can put your hand up. This is a safe space. That's it's good. Andrew Owens. And um, I don't want to get overly emotional, but Andrew Owens is an amazing man of faith, and um, he's had a good, good influence on my life. So... Of course, Andrew Owens has. But the rest of us, we can't say that we've read every single verse. There's no corner of the Bible that's unturned. And I just go, it's the best-selling book of all time. Why not? Why haven't we read it page to page from the start to the finish? Now, if I'm vulnerable, I'll be vulnerable. We can all be vulnerable. We'll do the flip of it. Let's put a hand up if we struggle to engage with the Bible when we read it. So there's parts of the Bible that just don't make sense or you get lost or you get disorientated in what's going on. Yeah, so that's... And Andrew Owens has read the whole Bible and yet he still gets confused. So, you know, it make, makes no sense to me. It's hard to concentrate with so much going on. There's so many, like, plot lines and words that I understand and uh, a lot of it's really, like... Not interesting as well. I'll get to that a bit later. Um, but there's some good bits, and a lot of it's just laws and stuff that, you know, I don't know. I won't get into it. And the thing is, we actually, here in Australia, we live in a society that says, they say that the Bible is unreliable. The Bible is fake news. You might not think that as a Christian. You might sit here and go, oh, I, I trust the Bible. I'm a Christian. But actually, our society doesn't say that. But Crindle Research did a... Um, did some research in 2017, and the research uh, came out to say that 54% of Australians uh, would say that the Bible is unreliable and completely invalid because they don't believe that it is a reliable source. And of that 54% that said that it's unreliable, 40% of that group would say that the unreliability and invalidity invalidity, that's the word, uh, of the Bible completely takes away their interest in Christianity. So uh, 40% of that group would say, because they don't believe it, they don't want to engage with Christianity. There's all these other spiritual disciplines and churches and all that in the mix, but they would say the sole reason why they don't want to become a Christian is because they don't trust the Bible. They don't trust where it's coming from. And I know that um, I have definitely struggled with um, the concept that the Bible is an authoritative text in our lives, that it is valid and that I want to impose that scripture on my life. Like, you know, it just, it doesn't make sense that you want to listen to a book telling you how to live your life. It's, it's not how our culture has formed us to think. And maybe some of you guys have had these same reservations. 
I mean, the book is 2,000 years old, right? How can it possibly relate to our current day? That's what society says. Now, obviously, this has been a much debated question. And um, there's been more research done over the years. um, And the research shows that there's more manuscripts that are of better quality than any of the other ancient texts out there. And I could list some ancient texts. I'm not a historian, so I, I could have researched it. But if you just think of like all the texts that are more than like 500 years old, the texts that make up the Bible, we have the most versions of that text, and it's the best quality text. So there's no ambiguity, that's the word, um, as to whether it's... Um, you know, from that, that time or whatever. It's been date-checked, and they, they do the science stuff on the pages to make sure it's from that time. And um, most recent scholarship has been able to place the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John within 40 years of Jesus' life. Now, what does this mean? Well, because it's within 40 years, they can actually say that these accounts are eyewitness accounts. It's not just a story that they wrote about this person that they heard of through, you know, the grapevines where this mum told this mum who told this child who told, like, it's none of that. Like, they've been able to, to verify that they're eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. And Paul's creed about Jesus can be tracked back to three to five years within Jesus' life. So very imminent after Jesus' life as well. We turn to archaeology. And we find that dozens, there's dozens of finds that support the details of Jesus' ministry. So, for instance, like we all know that Nazareth and Bethlehem are actual physical sites on our planet. They're not just made-up cities. So we know that when Jesus was uh, you know, living his life, ministering to people, those sites were there. Where Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, is an actual site here in our country. The Pool of Siloam, where Jesus healed the sick, you read about that in the scriptures. There's an actual site that they've been able to track and verify that that is where Jesus did that. And, you know, then there's Jesus' grave in Jerusalem that, um, you know, is a grave and you can, you can go and visit. And they've been able to, again, verify through different means that that's a physical site. It's not just a made-up place in a book that's 2,000 years old. It's still with us today. And then there's prophecy. Did you know throughout the laws and prophets, uh, there's 270 uh, predictions from before Jesus' birth about who he would be, what his life would be, what some of the things uh, would be that would like eventuate in Jesus' story, the coming Messiah. And a lot of these things that they predicted is completely out of Jesus' control. They happened years and years and like hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus uh, came to be. And the thing is, Jesus fulfilled and lived out 48 of these prophecies. 48 of prophecies that happened way before. People prophesied way before he was even on earth. Mathematically, that's impossible. Like, I'm not a mathematician, so I just believe what they wrote, but I'm sure you can go explore. But um, they say that it's, it's not like winning the lottery just once. It's not like winning the lottery twice. It's like winning the lottery 22 times in a row, so consecutively. So if you think about that, uh, a good story uh, that I'll tell really quickly is my grandpa's here tonight, and uh, I remember when I was five or six years old, we used to go and get a lottery ticket uh, on our daily chores um, whenever we're visiting. And grandpa, I know he's had some small wins here and there and pretty good wins, but he's never, from my understanding, been able to win the top ticket in the lottery, right? And so if you could imagine 
Winning the lottery not once, which is once in a lifetime, the odds are so small, but winning it 22 times in a row, that's completely impossible. That is impossible. And to me, like, I just go, well, it sounds like God was in it. Like, it, it only makes sense for a supernatural being to have constructed that. And uh, you could say that God just rigged the whole lottery and he made some bank on the side. And that was meant to be a joke. And um, anyway, <laughs> the point is, it's impossible, right? And so to me, with all this evidence, the Bible is as irrefutable as anything else that I base my life in. Like, you look to physics and philosophy and all those things. Um, to me, all that evidence stacks up just as strongly. So now you have to ask, so, okay, so that the Bible is true, it's, it's scripture, it's not made up fantasy that someone wrote 100 years ago or, you know. So maybe we're not reading the Bible because it's too confronting, you know. And the, the reality is a lot of what the Bible says uh, speaks out a lifestyle that we have to step into that we don't naturally want to step into. And we live in this, this culture, right, uh, where everyone just gets to live out their own truth. You get to live your own truth. You get to live your truth. You get to live your truth. Everyone just gets to live their best life. You be who you want to be. I'll be who I want to be. And we can just go merry ways, right? That is what society is telling us at the moment. And naturally then, we want to oppose, we want to push back against anything that tells us how we should live our lives, Society wants to reject the authority of Scripture and wants to take on its own autonomy. And so I know it's a challenge for me, even though I've been brought up in the church my whole life, I'm living as part of God's kingdom, but I also live in the world. And so it's a tension you feel because the world tells you you can be whoever you want to be, but a lot of the time Scripture actually calls you to something greater. And so it's a challenge. And naturally then, we have an opposition. There's something in us that just don't want to engage with it because it, needs, it shapes and forms us. So I want to challenge you, like... Do you truly believe that Scripture is the living Word of God, the breathing, living Word of the God Almighty? Like, do you believe that? I know for me that's a wrestle I've had. I know there's, there's all the knowledge, but in my heart, I need to believe that this is what God has, um, you know, people have written because God's inspired them to give us an instruction on how to live our life. But... No, as a note here, the Bible isn't just written to be this boring text that tells us how to live our lives. There's actually so much more. It's not just an intellectual stimulus for us to use in arguments and debates. It isn't just a book used to oppress people and point out their flaws. I think that's kind of what society has seen the Bible to be, and that's a lot of the negative uh, connotations we have with it. But it's not that. It's actually an invitation to, to get to know God's character. Throughout Scripture, when you read, you get to see God's faithfulness to humanity, his pursuit of us, him wanting to have relationship with us time and time again. From Genesis all the way through, it's all one big love letter to us. When we read God's Scripture, it's not just telling us how to live our lives, which is important, but it actually allows us to get to know God and his character. And it's an invitation to get to know God, yes, we get to know that he is the almighty God who pursued us. And it's through reading his breathing, living word, his logos, that we get to build relationship with him. We can pray, we can sing songs, and that's all formative in our faith. But actually, when you read the Bible, you just get a deeper insight into who God is. And Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. 
Now, did anyone else grow up hearing that song in Sunday school? And just not if you know it, otherwise I won't sing it for us. All right, I'll sing it. It goes something like this. Uh, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This morning, you guys won't believe it. We did it as our response. So hands up if you know that one. I knew it, but there's a couple of people that didn't know it. I was shocked. This morning, we sang it in the morning service as our response song. And the people just, they frothed over it, right? They just loved it. And... Uh, when, I was, when we were planning tonight's service, I just went, I don't think it will grab us the same way because it's not part of our liturgy. It's not part of what we sing in our day and age, but it is still so formative to what we know about God. And it's a truth that we get to grab a hold of today and be reminded of afresh today, that his word, his Bible is a lamp for our, for our feet, a light to our path. So when we don't know where we're walking to, we get lost in this crazy world of chaos. We know where we can walk. We know uh, what the next step is because his word guides us. It's a breathing uh, voice of God that gives us direction. And when we go back to Jesus' words in Matthew 7, we're now going to read from verse 24. And he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock had its foundation on the rock. Who here has seen the three little pigs? Yeah? Grew up watching three little pigs. And if you don't know the story of the three little pigs, there's three pigs that built houses and the bad, bad wolf is coming to, I don't know what he wants to do with them, but he, essentially they're building houses to resist the wolf. Um, the movie was G, so I didn't know. Um, but we go through and we see that... Um, straw, the straw house gets blown over and then the wooden house gets blown over and when the wolf gets to the brick house, he can't blow the house over. He huffs and he puffs and the house stands firm. See, there's something about brick. I'm using brick and um, rock synonymously. You can argue with someone, go argue with my brother after the service whether they're the same or not. He'll probably agree with you. Um, but yeah, to me, it just, since I've been little, I've just known that Rock is stronger than anything else. You want to build your house out of rock. And uh, when we look around now in our society, we can obviously see that our houses are built on concrete slabs and um, our roads are made out of tarmac. No longer are we driving on dirt roads with these potholes and people aren't getting stuck. Like, could you imagine if we had the February floods with all dirt roads? Like, my sister got stuck in the driveway. So I can't imagine how we're meant to drive on dirt roads with all the rain we were having. And the truth is that when life gets tough, though going back to that scripture, what Jesus is saying is when life gets tough and we sit in the overwhelm, no amount of food, no amount of Amazon uh, buys, no amount of holidays will be able to help us escape our reality. If we build a house on the sand, nothing will be able uh, to stop us from being overcome by this world. None of the wiki how pages or the various self-help books that we read, some of them have really good information, but none of it will be the perfect fix for what we're going through. 
And inevitably, we will grow tired and weak and we will crash when the winds and the waves and the stuff of life just pushes us over, when it, it will wash us away. And Jesus is saying, if you hear the word and put it into practice, then you are like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We have to put it into practice. When we read the Bible, I said it before, it allows God to minister to us, for a spirit to fill us with his strength, and he will bless us with his love, joy, and peace. When we read the Bible, we actually get nourished spiritually. It's not just uh, um, a knowledge that we get. It's not just answers to problems. It actually nourishes our souls. In John 16, verse 33, it says, I have told you these things so that, you, that, so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But the call is for all of us to make a change in our behavior. For us to know God's character and the plans he has for us, we have to spend time in his word. We need to get to know God on a deeper level. And today, we're going to have a really practical response I reckon there's some people here that are tired and overwhelmed and you've been basing your life, building your life on a sound, sand foundation. You've been turning to the wrong things to help you get from one thing to the next. We, you might need God to meet with you afresh to fill you and help you live in the rhythm of grace that he has for us to grab hold of. So maybe you find it really hard to engage with Scripture. Maybe that's kind of your your um, barrier to reading scripture and maybe you struggle to know how to put it in pra- into practice. As I said, I don't know about you, but I struggle to read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, like all the laws and stuff. Like what was an example the other week? Like talking about mold in cloths and stuff and it's just like, like it makes sense, but that's not really something I struggle with and I'm sure there's an overarching concept there, but I don't see the point spending 45 minutes reading about it, you know, like send it to me in an email, I'll read it later, I'll archive it for later. I often find myself distracted when I'm reading scripture, when I'm reading these passages. It's so easy to get distracted, to jump back into social media when what you're reading isn't just engaging in the spot. And an easy solution for that distraction might be just to leave your phone on the kitchen table. I know for me, if when, when I can't concentrate on something, that's what I have to do. I have to leave all the technology out and I have to pick up a physical Bible. That way there's no temptations or distractions. Well, for me, actually this year, I have been using the YouVersion Bible app as well. I encourage you to download. I think most of us have the app on our phone. And I've been doing the Bible in one year, uh, reading program by Nikki Gumbel. It's the same guy that wrote uh, the Alpha program as well. And um, it's, you read through the whole Bible cover to cover in one year. And that's actually, it's a lot of reading. And sometimes I still wake up in the morning. You know, I'm so tired from the night before because I was watching my movies on the couch and I'm looking forward to lunch. Uh, that I just don't have the time to read the six uh, chapters or whatever the program needs you to read. And so something really handy with the app is when I get in the car, I can just hit play. And you get um, Rod Irvine this morning knew the name of the guy who read, reads the scriptures. I have no idea, but apparently he's some British actor. But his voice is really soothing. So I encourage you. That's what I've been doing. I just play the scripture in my car drive home. And the great thing is I'm not having to make new time. I'm not having to change a rhythm because the reality is every day you have to drive to work. Every day you have to go somewhere. And so that's something I've been doing. 
but you have to find a method that works for you. Maybe you want to just do the SOAP method. I know most of you might be familiar with this method, but SOAP stands for scripture. So you get into the scripture and you find a scripture that speaks to you in the passage. And then you just write out the scripture in your journal. Then you observe observation. You observe what has stood out to you, what is kind of grabbing at your heart. And then application. You ask yourself, how can I apply this into my life? It's all good to know stuff, but how am I actually going to apply this in my life? And lastly, you finish by prayer. You ask God to help you apply this to your life. We can't do it in our own strength. We need God to do a transformational work in our heart. Maybe you want to do discovery Bible method in your life group. It's a great program to do in your groups. So you get a group of friends together where you read the scripture out loud and um, there's a hope. So you, you ask each other, what are you hearing from God through the scripture? And then you just observe um, what it says about God, what it says about humanity. And then practice is how can you live out what God is showing you in this text and e. How are you going to encourage someone? How are you going to tell someone about what you learned? And um, those two methods are quite similar, but one is really meant to do it in community. One is for individual study. But I encourage you, find the method that works for you. But the important thing is you, you can find the method, but it's, you can't do Bible reading. You can't have that practice if you don't find the time to do it. You can't have your method written down and subscribe to the app and then turn notifications on and then just let it go. Like, you have to actually make time to engage with it. And how? How do you do that? I know it's hard, right? Life gets busy and the temptation is to veg out on the couch and do nothing at the end of the day. We start justifying that we are just too busy. We're just too tired. We're too overworked to read Scripture. This is something that I know for myself. And if you're honest, though, if you're really honest, you could easily find 15 minutes in your day. What do you have to put down to be able to pick up Scripture? That's the challenge. What can you put down? Is it a busy calendar? Is it uh, that your phone is taking precious time? I encourage you, go to your screen time on your phone and see how much time you spend on your social media apps. When I did this, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook takes over an hour of my time a day. So I could easily carve out 15 minutes by setting uh, time limits on those apps so I can read scripture. We just come up with these excuses. Um, I just really believe that tonight there's some of us that are are feeling a bit overwhelmed with everything going on in life. And um, yeah, I just want to encourage you. Like for me, uh, you can pray as much as you want. You can worship. You can be in life group. All really great things. is really formational. But Scripture is up there with them. I know it's one of the hardest disciplines, but it's up there with them. And uh, we're just going to read from Psalm 1 verse 1 as we finish. Where it says, let me open it. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But those whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers. And so I wonder whether perhaps 
you, you feel like you're a tree and your leaves are a bit withery tonight. Maybe you're going into autumn or your leaves are falling off. I don't know. You're not getting watered. If you're one of my indoor plants, that's what you would look like as well. Uh, you definitely don't get enough water. And um, yeah, I just want to invite you, you know, like if we read scripture, there's verses like that that just nourishes your soul. When you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're tired, when you're disheartened, when your fuel tank is running on empty, and you're looking to things that can't fill it up, look to Scripture to fill up that tank. Look to Scripture to nourish your soul. So as the team sings, I'm just going to invite you, if that's something that you want to respond to, if that's something that you want to make a change in your life, as we sing, my God, how you deliver me, my God, you, you are everything, you are all I need. As we sing that, I just invite you to stand. This uh, tonight, just as a, it's just taking a stance to say, from now on, I want to do better. From now on, I recognize that I need to read scripture more in my daily rhythms. Um, so, as we do that, I invite you to stand and we're just going to sing. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.